Welcome to Digital First Leadership, the podcast that focuses on helping leaders and teams understand how to master the language of social media in today's digital first world. In this episode, Richard sat down with Howard Tierski, the CEO and founder of From, a digital transformation agency that helps companies deliver digitally powered customer experiences. Howard is also recognized as a top digital transformation influencer. During the conversation, Richard and Howard talk about companies and brands generating strong emotional relationships with their customers and how love and business coexist. Howard, thank you very much for joining me. I certainly appreciate you taking the time to kind of sit down and have a chat. Oh, thrilled to be here. You know, it's interesting because as a best-selling Wall Street Journal author, you have had a book, Winning Digital Customers, come out. And in this book, I have a copy of it. As I've read through it, you've approached this concept of winning digital customers from a bit of a unique angle. And um, I kind of like to talk to you about it, but the key word here is love, which I found, I have to admit, I found it very surprising to find that in a business book around digital transformation, this concept of love. Let's talk about that. Sure. Well, I think it starts from, you know, from a business perspective, one thing I always like to do is say, well, you want to be successful. Let's look at who's successful, who's who's winning in our digital economy today. And what is it that they seem to be doing? Because there's no question that the transformation that's occurred over the last decade or more has created real winners and losers. We've seen all kinds of companies go out of business, and we've seen the largest companies that have ever been existing on this planet have, have grown to that scale on the backs of being successful in the digital economy. And when I look across those brands, there's obviously a variety of things you could look at as common practices. And we're always trying to learn that. And a lot of what I put in my book is my learnings from studying successful companies and trying to bring that together into an approach to helping anybody drive their own success in this world. But I think one of the most unifying themes is that the companies that are doing the best today are successful at generating strong emotional relationships. And I would go so far as to say the love of their customers, whether that's an Apple or you know uh, Instagram or Snapchat or uh, Disney or you know it doesn't all it's not all about uh, being a digital company. Nike, uh, you know Chick Fil A, Tesla, absolutely, absolutely, right, absolutely. And so part of what what I've been looking to do, and part of what we do in the book, is we we try to reverse engineer that. We say, all right, if if this is well, first of all, we, we've done all kinds of studies that correlate these kinds of customer relationships to financial performance. Who are the companies that have the greatest revenue growth? Who are the co- companies that are driving the most profitability? Who are the companies that have the greatest share price or share multiples? And of course, no rule is perfect and applies to every single company in the same way. But what we see as a pattern is that the companies that have been successful at fostering this idea that I call customer love are very often the ones that are most successful. And, you know, sometimes people are like, love, really? Love? Why would you say right. love? And, and I understand that initial reaction. Um, I mean, look, there's, we use the word love in a lot of different ways in our, in our English language. You know, I mean, I love my wife and I love my Ford Mustang, you know, but not in exactly the same way. And right. similarly, you know, the, the love we feel from our customers is not, not necessarily the same as we love the love we feel from our families. But, but it is that idea of that strong, passionate connection. And so I don't think it goes too far to say, and, and there's plenty of people who will say that they love Starbucks, that they love Amazon. We hear when we do customer research, which we do a ton of customer research every week, we're doing different kinds of studies for clients. We hear those words all the time about certain brands. We don't hear it about Citibank. We don't hear it about Allstate. We don't hear it about Cigna. 
We don't hear it about, you know, Macy's, honestly, but we hear it about uh, many Disney and, and Starbucks. And, and, you know, we do studies to look at, well, what is it that causes those brands to, to be loved and to have customers say that they love them? And we have sort of, uh, I hate to say it this way because it sounds so unromantic, but sure. we've really reverse engineered what is it that causes love? What is it that, that inspires a customer to have that feeling of love towards a brand? And we sort of boiled it down to three key things. And that's a lot of what we talk about in the book. So when you talk about those three key things as we move forward here, because it's winning digital customers, is it, do you feel it's, and we're going to get into those three, but has it gotten easier or harder to cultivate that love from your customers with the whole moving to digital, uh, the digital space this, this past year of all of us basically transferring our physical lives into the digital world. Has this, are those companies who are embracing this digital transformation, are they finding it much easier? And is that why we're seeing this acceleration of these brands as they just seem to, they seem to be on a whole nother level. Right. And, and, and even just 18 months ago, we didn't seem to see this kind of uh, acceleration. Yeah, I think a couple of things. First of all, none of it's easy. I would I would hesitate to say any of it's easy. It's all a, a ton of work. I would say that one of the things that is easier in the digital world is to create an experience that scales because you can create something that people love and then all of a sudden you can be global. All of a sudden you can be touching millions or even billions of people. And the more digital versus physical product your brand is, the easier and faster you can scale, generally speaking. So there's no question that that's in a sense, easier. On the other hand, because the speed of change we see in the world, the speed of change in customer needs and expectations, the speed of change in what you need to do in order to be loved by your customers has been so great. When you start out as an existing legacy brand, and we have so many great brands who've been around for decades and some of them centuries, and they need to change and transform so rapidly in order to be as relevant and loved as possible in this current day and age. Uh, that is actually quite difficult. Sometimes it seems easier to build something new than to take something and actually transform it. And that's one of the great challenges that so many of our brands face today. You know, you bring up an interesting point. And it was a conversation I had just this week. And that is the company, and I've heard this, the company that should have dominated the internet is the company who, who invented shop from home. And that is Sears with their catalog, right? They, they owned the concept of taking the product, the storefront into persons, people's homes and allowing that individual experience. And yet when it came to the internet, they completely missed, right? To the point where some of our audience might not even have ever stepped into Sears in their life. And yet we see that when you talk about that have been around for hundreds, a hundred years, there's a perfect example of doing great, understanding it all, and then suddenly falling off a cliff. Yes. What would be? Why didn't, the, well, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I think to the same point. Why didn't MTV become iTunes? Why didn't Blockbuster become Netflix? You have see, see so many examples. Why didn't Kodak become dominant in, in digital photography? Why did they cede that to, to companies like Apple or, or whatnot? Absolutely. You see that pattern play out over and over. Well, that, then I, that, and I, and we have so many things to talk about here, but one question that I have is what companies are threatened right now by becoming irrelevant? Which ones are, who are thinking they're doing okay, but Look, you might be, uh, there might be some uh, danger signs on the horizon. Got any insights into those? Well, in a sense, it's, it's everybody. But um, I certainly think that, um, that retail is more threatened than some other brands. 
Yeah. Uh, for example, it's it's a lot harder to establish uh, a digital bank and and compete with Citibank than it is to establish you know a digital apparel uh, store online and compete with Macy's. Um, yeah. Partly in some cases for federal regulatory reasons, and sometimes it's just the complexity that it takes. But um, I think media companies and uh, basic uh, you know e-commerce companies, basic re- retailers that are not selling proprietary product. Anybody who kind of is a middleman, you know, I think that right. we saw, you know, in the earliest days, the first, the first party that was really disintermediated by the internet was the travel agent. You know, it used to be, you had to go to the travel agent's office. I yeah. remember being in college and going to Liberty travel and getting my printed tickets to fly home to Chicago for Thanksgiving, you know, and, and this is already decades ago. It became quickly clear that we don't need that, that party in the middle anymore. And I think that, Anybody who is selling non-proprietary product, you know, the risk is, well, someone else is going to be out there potentially making it, either offering it less expensively or more conveniently or with a better browse experience. And so many large brands, like let's take someone like Macy's, which is a a client of ours, has been in the past, they're a neighbor of ours, where our, our, our main headquarters are not too far from Herald Square in New York City, company that I, I think is a wonderful brand, a wonderful company. Uh, but you know they face a lot of challenges in this world where there are so many places you can go and buy apparel. So, so strategically, one of the things you see them do is trying to move towards more proprietary product because that's more defensible again in a world where you know otherwise right. you can buy the same product you know any anywhere things like that. Um, but I think those are some of the industries that 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 face the greatest threat. But honestly, I think every industry does because um, you know one of the things. The way I look at the topic of digital transformation in general, I often offer this definition is I say, well, there's a digital transformation that's that's going on in the world. Forget your company. It's going on in the world and it's going on in your customer and in your employee and in your shareholder. We're all going through this digital transformation of the world and it's causing us as individuals to live a lifestyle by and large, which has digital at the center more yeah. and more and more. And the pace that we're moving towards that is just continued to increase. And of course, COVID has increased it further. And so then when we talk about the digital transformation of a company, that's really, it's a lot about just transforming and changing fast enough to keep up with the pace of change in the world. And I think that um, any brand that isn't able to move quickly, it's a little bit less about industry and it's a little bit more about culture. Are you able to change quickly enough because the world is changing so fast that if you're still doing business largely the way that you been doing it for the last couple of decades, uh, that's, you know, means that you're probably highly threatened. You know, and in, in, here in Silicon Valley, where I live, you're in, in New York. Um, some of my clients are selling off their Silicon Valley campuses. They have realized that they can completely go remote. Well, not completely, but close enough that thousands of people who used to come into an office every day are now being sent home and they're just selling the real estate. Who's buying it is I'm interested in who's buying it, but you're right. These companies that are rapidly adjusting and transforming themselves are the ones that are taking advantage of it. If we come back to your book, um, one thing that's the challenge, this is what I asked at the very beginning, is it easier or is it harder? Because you refer to something as the love dilemma. And we talked about this word love. You mentioned there are three key things that set that apart. What are those three things? Sure. So the three, the recipe, so to speak, for achieving inspiring customer love has th- three levels, and they're they're fairly straightforward. It's it's not always easy to achieve these three things, but to understand what they are is conceptually very straightforward. The first level, and we think of it like a pyramid, the base of the pyramid being to consistently meet your customers' needs. 
Just make sure that whatever domain of value you're offering, obviously those needs are going to be different if you're a florist versus if you're a podiatrist, but to consistently meet their needs. If you're not doing that, the odds are very slim that you're going to achieve customer love, but it is certainly not sufficient. There are many brands that consistently meet my needs. I take them for granted and I do not love them. And if someone else could consistently meet my needs in the same way, but for a cheaper price or in some other way better, I'd switch. So it's not sufficient, but it's absolutely required. The second is to periodically or occasionally create delight in the customer, to exceed their needs, to exceed their expectations, to do something extra for them. That moves you more towards something that inspires love. Not necessarily all the way, but, and I'll I'll explain in a moment why these things create such an emotional connection, because I think we've successfully also reverse engineered that. And then the top level is to stand for something that the customer values, to align with the customer's values in a way that transcends simply the, the domain of commerce that you're, that you're providing. Not, you're not just selling shoes. You are you know, helping, helping save you know, children in Africa. But it doesn't have to be a political thing. Look at somebody like Apple. You know, they stand for something, but it's not a social or, or it's not a, um, a political thing. It's more about human empowerment, you know, and, and giving tools to empower the creative individuals to change the world. Um, so those are the three things. And the reason I believe that they, when you have a brand, and, and I would encourage everyone who's listening to test that for yourself. And, and we have actually another little test that I can, I can share if you like of how to know which are the brands that you really love or how to test how well your brand is loved. Oh, I think the audience would be very interested in that. <laughs> okay, I'll be happy to share that. Uh, but I think one of the reasons why these three things together inspire so much love is because of the emotional meaning that we give to these three things. And here's what I believe and what our research suggests the meaning is. When a brand consistently meets your needs, that bottom level of the pyramid, what does that mean? Because love and emotion is a lot about meaning. It means they understand me. Because someone can't meet my needs unless they understand me. They, they know what I'm about. They know what I care about. They get me. And that's how they're able to make sure that they're there when I need them. They are anticipating what I need. And that's an important part. Do we ever love somebody that we feel doesn't really, at some level, kind of get us? I mean, just think about human relationships. It's a very important component. Again, not sufficient, but very important. Then that second level, delight. That creates a different emotional meaning, which is they care about me. Because... They're doing extra stuff that they don't have to do. And I mean, you know, like how often uh, do we get a bill or something from a company and it says in the bottom, thank you for your business. We appreciate you as a customer, you know, and they've printed that right on the bill. Like, so how, right. how, how seriously am I going to take that? Right. I mean, we see these things all the time and we ignore I, them because we don't believe them. And I want to use that as an example for the first time in a year. I bought an airline ticket and flew somewhere for the first time in a year. Mm-hmm. And I purposely picked Delta. Uh, one is because they promised that there's nobody going to be sitting next to me. That was one. They understood uh, your needs. Right. They understood my needs. And then once I booked the ticket, I get an email from their VP with a video saying, thank you. Thank you for booking this. We really appreciate your business. Thank you for coming back. So you know what I did? I went out on LinkedIn. And requested a connection with this senior VP at Delta. He responded, connected, and then thanked me on LinkedIn. So there is no way this is a canned message. 
he's thanking me on LinkedIn for being a customer. And if there's anything that I can do for him, that he can do for me, let him know. And I'm thinking, dang, am I going to fly any other airline? No, because I was already really careful of my choice. So when you talk about delight, I was incredibly impressed, so much so that I sent it to my team. Look what they did. And so I completely understand that that sense of delight. I just wanted to share that story because that just yeah. happened to me. Just very it's a clear. great example. And you know, I hear that all the time about Delta. Not that yeah. specific story, but but Delta is masterful at this, truly masterful. Um, they were, and just so you know, I've flown Delta now for I don't know as long as I've been flying, thirty years, something like that. And I remember they were the first airline worldwide to ban smoking on their flights. And I would always be one of those flying as a kid sitting right behind first class and first class last three lines, you know, dying on that cigarette smoke. But I still remember the day that they announced a ban worldwide and they have led like that. I have been a loyal customer and will continue to be, but I was shocked at the level of detail that they were focusing on uh, with me. So perfect example for me. So what you're saying is very much resonating with me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to sure. interrupt, but it was oh, very- Oh, no, no, no. I love that. It's a fantastic example. Thank you. And 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 the, the top level of that pyramid, which I said was to, to align with the values. So if the bottom level is they understand me and the middle level equates to they, they genuinely care about me, the top level is they are like me. Yeah. First of all, there's a humanity there because you know there's a fundamental difference between a brand and a person. A person a brand is not inherently human, right? In fact, it's right. not, whatever the Supreme Court may say. Right, exactly, you know? whatever the Supreme I mean, Court may that's say. That's yeah. a whole other matter. But, um, but, but brands that have a, a humanity, which sometimes can be because they have a CEO or founder who, who imbues them with that, or sometimes it can be another reason. Um, and then they, they, they mean something. They stand for something. They care about something above and beyond. Humans don't just live to work. And so when that brand stands for something that they really have you know, authentic um, caring about, then if that's something that I also share, and that's, by the way, both what you said about smoking at the middle level and also at the top level sometimes means that we push away other people. Yep. You know, when they made that ban on smoking, there were some people who said, well, I can't fly Delta anymore. Yep. And when you are a Nike and you come out in support of Colin Kaepernick and yep. Black Lives Matter, or on the other end of the political spectrum, when you're Chick-fil-A and you come out in support of, you know, let's call it, you know, traditional values or whatever right. euphemism you want to use. And I'm just trying to be politically neutral here. Um, the, uh, you know, what happens is that you repel some people and you massively attract other people. And in yeah. all, both of those cases, both on the right and the left, we see that the attraction was far more powerful than the repellent. And so it was a smart business decision, whether it was done for a business reason or not. And, uh, but again, it doesn't have to be political, but, but when you combine those, and if you think of the brands that people really love, like an Apple, you see those three things working together in harmony. And so, um, it's easier said than done. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's the recipe. And, um, very often, and you mentioned this idea of the love dilemma, the dilemma is that to do those things, to be relevant, to be able to meet their needs, to exceed their needs, and to stand for something that customers care about in today's continuously changing world, very often you need to transform. And large brands, they ain't so good at that. No. And so very often they're stuck in the past or they're changing, but they're changing at a pace slower than the pace that the world is changing. And so just imagine you're in a race and you're three yards behind the runner, the front runner, and you're running slower than they are. Well, what's going to happen? Pretty soon you're four yards behind, you're six yards behind, right? So um, 
that's the challenge. That's the dilemma that a lot of brands face today. The good news is there's a solution. And, you know, I try in my book as best as I possibly can in a, in a book to lay out a five-step process to undergo that transformation to figure out where you need to go and pilot on how to get there. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, I think that that's the love dilemma that a lot of companies face today. They're just not loved. Yeah. I certainly appreciate you sharing this because as I've read the book and I've looked at that five-step process, it certainly is, it's not that it's obvious, but it's so pertinent today because people get lost in the noise, right? They get lost in the activity. They get lost in what do I do next? And particularly when you fall back on the traditional, my clients have come to me because I deal a lot with salespeople, individuals, helping them transform the sales process. And the struggle that companies are having is, is that most of these people that I'm working with have been successful in a certain way that they've done it. And now to convince them that, okay, it still might be working for you, but if you do not transfer, transform to a digital first mentality, like you just said, you're going to be slowly creeping left behind. Now, I know some of them are like, that's good enough because I'm going to retire and I'll be able to be done. Right. But there's a whole lot of these, and I don't want to use age as the issue because it all ranges, but there's those who are being born into this new mentality that are going to, you're not even going to see, they're going to be coming on you so fast that you're not even going to see them by the time they pass you, if you don't keep up. And so yeah. this is, for whether it's a brand or an individual, this digital transformation, I love what you've shared, these three levels of love idea. Uh, I know I'm going to internalize it here. I just want to say thank you very much for taking a few minutes to share this with our audience and the, the book. Where can they find the book? Uh, well, hopefully any, anywhere. Um, the book is called Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. Um, of course, you can get it on Amazon, both physical and Kindle and Barnes and & Noble and Apple Books and all the usual places. If you like, you can also go to the website winningdigitalcustomers.com where you can actually download the first chapter for free if you'd like to uh, try before you buy. And uh, you can also sign up for our mailing list and get more information, et cetera, et cetera. Learn about our podcasts and other things. So either either of those places uh, would be great places to start to uh, get a, get a, get your hands on the book or to check out the information. Winningdigitalcustomers.com. Uh, yes, that's the website, correct. Perfect. Uh, let's uh, make sure everybody uh, is aware of that and they can, can get there. Howard, thank you again. This has been great. I appreciate the energy and the uh, the passion for this uh, topic. Thanks for, thanks for sharing us with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Digital First Leadership, the podcast where you learn to leverage and build your expertise on digital platforms. For more valuable tips on mastering the language of social media, subscribe to our newsletter at blisspointconsult.com. If you'd like to stay in touch, feel free to add Richard on LinkedIn and join the conversation.